If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 1. And uh, we started a series last week. And let me just say for tonight, Pastor Charles Neiman is going to be here from Abundant Living Faith Center. Pastor's there in El Paso, Texas. It's an amazing church. I take all of our staff out there every spring. They have a uh, conference there. We have a lot of great speakers come in, but they also teach us hands-on things concerning our different departments. Just an amazing church. Um, thriving church, about 20,000 members uh, at this point. But he's, uh, he called me yesterday and said that, he said, you realize, Eric, that we're having Sunday night service on Cowboys kickoff night. I said, yeah. And he said, well, just tell the church that they'll be out in time to catch the second half. He said, well, at least I'll be out in time to catch the second half. They can do whatever they want, but I'm planning on watching the rest of that football game. So (laughs) we understand the Cowboys are playing, but we also know that we live in an age of DVRs and TiVos. So, I mean, come on. Huh? You record everything else. Just record the game. Come tonight. All right? Don't replace tonight with something on TV. All right? Be here. This is, is going to be a life-changing moment. It's a life-changing message. As a matter of fact, he's preaching a message called When Life Doesn't Play Along. And it's, it's an amazing message. He uh, lost his wife at the very end of last year. And uh, so he's... Uh, really kind of reinventing himself, uh, and, and his son and daughter have come up alongside him in his ministry, and it was a great loss to the kingdom of God when Miss Rochelle went to heaven, um, and we miss her tremendously, but he is carrying on, hasn't missed preaching one church service. Amazing, very inspiring. So tonight, uh, I believe that you'll really be touched by the message when life doesn't play along, okay? So that's at 6 o'clock, all right? Everybody ready? Yeah. Now, like I said, last week we started a series called Kings and Priests, and I'm just going to give you just a little preview, and then we're going to jump into some new things because uh, as I laid some of the foundation last week, we talked about that we are all called as kings and priests in the body of Christ. Revelation chapter 1, I want to read this, verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us. Is that us? Anybody loved by God here today? And washed us from our sins in his own blood. Is that the same us that he loved? All right. Is that you? So he loved you and he washed you in his own blood and then, and has made us kings and priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what's amazing is that God took an Old Testament partnership of kings and priests and brought it all the way over into our life right here in the new covenant. It's awesome. There are lots of things that crossed over from the old to the new, but every time they did, they just got better because how many of you know Jesus just made everything better? He just made everything better. We got a better covenant established on better promises, but he made us kings and priests. And as I began to explain that to you last week, one of the things that you must remember during this teaching so that you really have good understanding is that we live our lives on on two levels, all right? We have our personal life where we'll function in both of these offices of king and priest. I, I have a personal life. Some of you might not know that a pastor does have a personal life too, but I do. And 
And there are times when I'm, I'm making decrees and declarations and going to war, if you will, for my family uh, and, and for whatever, and also act as a priest that I'm interceding and I'm praying. But that happens in both ways in my personal life. But in the church, in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, you will function either as a king or a priest. And the primary role, the primary responsibility of the king or of the priest is to provide vision. And the, and the primary responsibility of the king is to provide provision for the vision. And it's an amazing partnership that God established and that we have this mutual respect. And we work together for the common good of the kingdom of God. It's a powerful thought. One of the saddest things to me is that years and years have gone by in the church and there has been this overdevelopment of the priesthood and little said about the kingship. All right, because for a long time, the, everybody's been made to feel like they're supposed to be in full-time ministry, and that's just not the case. Matter of fact, there's more kings than there are priests. If I were to, I mean, most of you, pretty much all of you are called to be kings, and there might be a handful of priests. It's, it's, God set that precedent when he set up the tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel, only one tribe were the priests. Everybody else acted as kings. All right, the priests were the Levites, the the Levitical priesthood, and we don't ever see the Levites going over to Judah or over to Reuben or Simeon saying, hey, you need to come over here and be a priest. No, they knew who they were, and they stayed in their call. And those in the other tribes, they knew who they were, and they stayed in their call, all right? And that same idea is today. So I'm here for you kings, any kings in the house. I'm here to pump you up, to get you encouraged, to get you built up in the Word of God, because I want to let you know that, that you need to get in your call, whatever it may be, get in your call and begin to bear fruit, all right? Because God has a tremendous call on your life. The king is just as a, a divine call as a priest is, all right? All of us are in this thing together, designed by God. It's a beautiful partnership. And last week, we just talked about, there was some admonition, a little warning. I know it was a little heavy at times last week when we talked about, we began to look in the Old Testament at some kings who, one, who did not act as a king, the danger of not just doing what he was supposed to, and that was King David. And at 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, he stayed back. It says, in the season or the time when kings go to war, David remained at Jerusalem. And that decision to not do what he was supposed to do led him up on a rooftop, looking on to another man's wife who was bathing on her roof at night and had lust in his heart for her and, his, and, and ended up committing adultery with her and then impregnating her. I know that was not his intention, but she did get pregnant as a result, so he calls her husband from the war in which he is supposed to be in and tries to get him to go, you know, enjoy his wife, and he wouldn't do it because he said, how can I go when my brothers are in arms out there? I can't go enjoy the eat and the drink and the pleasure of my wife. And so he just slept at the king's threshold, at the door. And, and so then King David, when he realized that Uriah was too much of a man of integrity and loyalty, then he decided to get rid of him. So he, now he has to cover this up, and so he, because he couldn't cover it up, he put Uriah's own death warrant in his hand, made him take that to the commander of the army by the name of Joab. Joab then read the letter, which Uriah never read, not even realizing that he had in his hand the command from the king to put Uriah on the front lines and let him die in battle. And that's exactly what happened. So all because David did not function in his call, a whole series of events went south real fast. And at the end of that whole story, even the baby ended up dying tragically. They're very sad. But then we also looked at another king 
who didn't just not do what he was supposed to do, but he tried to function as a priest. And that was King Saul. And King Saul was the first king of Israel. Two years into it, they ended up in battle array against the Philistines. And there were these conditions set up for war, set up in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 20. You can read that sometime. But what happened was is that they, God set an order that a priest or a prophet of God must come and make declarations over the army before they go out to war, offer burnt sacrifices for them, and the blessing of God would be upon them. So as Saul is waiting for Samuel the prophet, who we talked about this morning, who was dedicated to God from Hannah, as he was waiting for him, because Samuel said, "Whenever, you're, if it happens, if you go to war, wait seven days and I'll be here. Well, seven days goes by and, no, and Samuel hadn't shown up yet. So Saul gets really distressed because even his own army began to fall away. So, I mean, the problem is surmounting and his resources are running thin. You ever had that kind of problem when the problem gets bigger but your resources are dwindling? Right? So this is what's happened. So Saul, out of his distress, he forces himself to make the sacrifice, to step in as a priest and offer the sacrifice to God so that they could go with the blessing of God. And right after that happened, Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? What have you done? Because you have done this, the kingdom is taken away from you. It would have been established forever, Saul, but now your kingdom ends today. And God is showing us something powerful here, something that we all must remember, that he has called us to a calling that we must stay in. I'm going to get a little bit more specific in that today. Proverbs chapter 29, turn there quickly. Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keeps the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, I want you to notice something it says in that scripture. It doesn't say that the person or the individual perishes, but the people. So this is specifically, specifically talking about a vision for a group of people, a national vision, a church vision like we have here together. We are a people united in one vision here at One Cause Church. That's a good opportunity to say amen. All right. But this is a vision for a group. It's, it's a vision that's bigger than just one of us. Without vision, the people perish. And, and in the literal text, that, that means uh, that word vision is actually progressive vision because God is building his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. So that means that there's always expansion, there's growth, there's increase. And so the vision is continually progressing. progressing. And then it says here that they perish or one scripture says that they cast off restraint. And in the, it, when you break down the Hebrew there, it means that they live an aimless life. They wander about. And remember when Jesus looked upon the people and had compassion? You can read this in Matthew chapter 9. It says he looked on the people and had compassion for them because they were scattered. They were weary and they were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. Jesus recognized that these are people with no vision. No one, no shepherd, no man of God to speak the vision of God into their lives so that they can live a life of purpose and meaning. They're wandering about, weary and scattered. So since we see what happens to people with no vision, that they cast off restraint, they live an aimless life, that helps us understand the power of a vision, doesn't it? The power of vision, the pulling power that it has. And sadly, you know, a lot of people are living their lives. A lot of believers are living their lives disconnected from the house of God. Disconnected, scattered weary lives because they've not submitted themselves to 
the house of God, to the man of God to speak vision into their life, to help them to know what God's plan is, what God's purpose is, what his knowledge is concerning them. And so I was just talking to a man a few days ago on the phone, a businessman, and he's a very, very kind man. He was telling me he's a member of a really large church, and I love really large churches. We are a large church in here, and we're getting there. In the, it's, coming, it's coming out. But um, he was telling me, his member, he said, I like that, actually. For me personally, it's good because I, I can kind of hide. He said, I don't like everybody knowing my business, so I just like to be able to go and leave. And I was thinking, man, after we talked on the phone, and I just started thinking about it, I got sad for the guy, thinking, wow, there's no real connection there, right? God forbid we'd be accountable, right? God forbid we'd have somebody come along us, alongside of us helping us to do the right thing. And that's what the scripture says, to, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as, as is the manner of some, but, but all the more. As you see the day approaching, encourage one another, stir each other up unto good works, right? I mean, we need our friends going, come on, knucklehead, get it together, let's go. Let's do the right thing, huh? And let's stay within our vision. Now, this, this, this word vision is a powerful word. It, it actually means to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You know, one of the great things about vision is that it keeps us in our lane. And that lane there, those boundaries are there, are there for our life not to bind us, not, to, not to, uh, to hold us down, but to actually liberate us. You know, we actually need some regulations and restraints so that we can be liberated. I love football. I, have, I happen to really love the Denver Broncos. And man, what they, did they do a great job Thursday night. That was, showed the Super Bowl champs how to play football. It was awesome. But uh, I'm sorry, I got way distracted there. Got my eyes full of orange and Peyton Manning. Seriously, where was I? Yeah, oh yeah, okay. So, 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 so the, the, to play the game, to play the game, the reason a guy like Peyton Manning can throw seven touchdowns in a game is because he first knows the rules of football, right? And once you know it, then you can live the potential of that game. You can be the best that you can be at the position of quarterback or wide receiver, but you cannot really function at your best if you don't know the rules of the game. Are you getting this? So these things are not here to hinder us. Like I said, it's here to liberate us. So vision is there to help us run our race swiftly and accurately, hallelujah, and with grace. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says this, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you might obtain it. Amen. So what this teaches us is that our life is a race, and God wants us to obtain the prize. He doesn't want you to just start. doesn't want you to just be somewhere in the pack. He wants you to cross the finish line. He wants you to go for the trophy. Amen. Can I get a good amen? We have to ask her, okay, what is that prize he's talking about? To run for the prize, what does that prize look like? Well, over in Philippians chapter 3, Paul shows us what the prize is. Can we go there? Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That's a lot of one thing, isn't it? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So your calling is the prize. To fulfill what God has called you to do is obtaining that prize. Hallelujah. So like any race, if you don't stay in your lane, then guess what? 
you're not going to obtain the prize, as this video will clearly show us. We do have one or two problems here, and we're looking at the Jamaican. And look at that, on the opening leg, running inside the lane, and the point is that is gaining an advantage. The one in the yellow and green, look at that. And that is the Jamaican athlete. So that is Rosemary White. And one foot clearly inside the lane. And that should be a disqualification because she has gained an advantage. Well, that is just extraordinary lack of discipline, isn't it, by Rosemary White. The pictures there. You hear that? It's an extraordinary lack of discipline. She got out of her lane, and as a result of her getting out of her lane, the entire team was disqualified to go on to the World Championship Finals in Moscow. This happened on August the 16th. Just, just, just getting out of her lane cost them the opportunity to be champions. And they were, she was clearly in second place. I mean, she had, the, she had her place, their place set in the heat. But that lack of discipline, that lack of vision, if you will, caused them to forfeit their dream. You have a race to run and you have a lane to stay in in your race. And that lane is the vision of God for your life. And it keeps you from wandering about. It keeps you from living an aimless kind of life. It keeps you on course to get that prize. Vision keeps us in our lanes. Now, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Or there's a good chance that some Christian in this room has this tattooed on their bodies. I don't know. I see it a lot. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you, this is God speaking, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Think about that. Now, God's not holding exception to Jeremiah. These are not, he's not the only one that this is true for. This is true for all of us, that before you were formed in the womb, God knew who you were. And before you were born, he sanctified you or he set you apart. He called you. Listen to the amplified version of the scripture. It's powerful. He says, before I formed you uh, in the womb, I knew and approved of you. You know that you were approved for God. That's why you're here. Knew and approved you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart, consecrating you. And here to Jeremiah specifically, and I appointed you as the prophet to the nation. See, God knew you. God formed you. God approved of you. God separated you and set you apart, and God consecrated you for his call. So God put you in your lane and said, run for the prize and stay in your lane. All right? You're getting this. So vision has this pulling power in your life that it goes out there ahead of you and pulls you towards that finish line. When I was in high school, my senior year, every year our little private school would gather with other private schools uh, in some part of Texas and have what they call state competition. And we would compete in several different things, some academic, uh, some athletic, it just depended, uh, musical, all these kinds of categories that we could enter in. And we had a pretty decent track team uh, for our school. And Obviously, it wasn't totally decent because they put me in one of the races, and that was the mile relay. I had to run the mile relay, and I was not fast, and so they gave me the slow leg, which is number two, and they just said, you know, just get out there and run. That's fine. Don't, just don't drop the baton, and don't trip and fall. Just run the race. Just one lap, Eric. It's not that hard, right? So we entered for the mile relay in this 
in this event, and we showed up, and all these other schools show, showed up, and we looked at uh, who all had entered this race, and we were the only school that entered the mile relay. Well, guess what we got? First place, we get the trophy, but it wasn't that easy. They said, no, you're not just going to get the trophy, you're going to run this race. And I got to tell you, that was one of the loneliest experiences of my life, because I know how, how painful it is to even watch me run, Right? So I'm all by myself. Each person takes one full lap, and all these other schools are up in the grandstands, right? And I'm sure they're having quite the conversation about this doofus out here. <laughs> Just going as hard as I could and slow at it. But we finished it, and we got the trophy. Because you don't get the trophy for just entering the race. You don't get the trophy for just showing up. You get the trophy when you cross the finish line. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let's turn over to another tattoo scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. If you have these tattooed, God bless you. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it, okay? Just, I'm not. For I know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Isn't this awesome? I know the thoughts. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. You know, God's thinking about you. Tell, your, tell somebody sitting next to you, God's thinks. God thinks about you. Think about it. He thinks about you. Now, I wonder, I have to, before we get to the next part, as you've already read or whatever, what is God thinking toward us? Because sometimes we get in life, we get, we get in our, just living our life, and, you know, we might screw up. And, and make a mistake, sin, fall, do whatever, and then, we, and then we get in our minds what God's probably thinking about us, yeah. right? Because a lot of times we think God is who he is based on what we do and what we don't do, and that's just not the case. God is who he is regardless. God is good, and he does good. Yeah. Are you hearing me? God is good, and he does good, regardless of what we do or don't do, all right? He's not going to change. He's not going to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's just not going to change on being good. He will always be that way. Don't err. The scripture says don't make a mistake. Don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights and comes down from, a, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turn, which means he's not going to change. He's only going to give the good stuff. Are you hearing me? All right. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. And it's important that we know what God is thinking, not only what he is saying about us, because we, we oftentimes will say something to someone, but we're thinking a whole different thought about them while we're talking to them. Right? You ladies are notorious. For it. Oh, that's a pretty dress. What in the world is she wearing that? Right? Thoughts are different than what's being said. Come on. And so because we're like that at times, we assume God's like that. We always just kind of put God at, well, God's like us, but, you know, a, a little better. No, he's far above us. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. He says, I know the thoughts that I have for you. Now, let's hear what God has to say about his thoughts and not what we assume his thoughts are, not what we feel his thoughts are. Let's just go ahead and get over what we think about it, and let's just take him at his word. I know the thoughts that I think to you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Yeah. Amen. Thoughts of peace. 
Get this, thoughts of peace. It's all rumbling around on the inside of God's heart and mind towards you is peace. Now that word is a beautiful word. And if you're going to get a word tattooed on, you might do this one. Shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. Shalom. It's a beautiful word. Listen to this. I want you, I'm just going to give you some definitions of this word, what God is saying. This is what is stirring in God's heart and mind towards you. Peace means favor. God thinks favor towards you. Welfare. All right, religious person, get ready for this one. Prosperity. Health. Happiness, safety, and peace. This is what God is thinking towards you, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort right now. These are the thoughts. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Not of evil. Your God is not thinking evil towards you. God is not sitting in heaven, clenching his teeth, tightening his fists, and fuming about the throne room over you. Huh? He's not up there coordinating car accidents and calamities and tornadoes and hurricanes just so you'll learn your lesson. This is not our God. That is a lie. Well, I don't know what the Lord's trying to teach me in all this, all this tragedy and pain, right? How does the devil get such a free ride? When is he going to get the credit for what he actually does? Jesus said the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. All right, let's give him his due credit. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You know what that tells us? They're not on the same team. They're not working together. Jesus came to this earth for this, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Yeah. Amen. That's really good preaching. So what that tells us then yeah. is God is on our side. Yeah. Because if God is up there doing that, listen to me, if God is up there doing that, if he is up there thinking evil towards you, and if he's up there thinking how, man, just get in the right spot, that, light, that bolt of lightning is coming right for your head. If he is thinking thoughts like that, then he is unjust then he is evil. Then he is treating his son wrong because what Jesus did for us, it either mattered or it didn't. It either made all the difference or it made no difference. He didn't part-time redeem us, partly secure us. Isaiah chapter 54, turn there for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 54. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right. Look at this. Verse 8. With, with a little wrath, God says this. With a little wrath, I hid my face. Now, if you read the Old Testament, it looks like a lot of wrath. And God calls that little wrath. I hate to see a lot of wrath. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. Listen. But with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Redeemer. Listen to this. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. And we have to ask the question, what is like the waters of Noah? Well, this is all predicated upon chapter 53 about Jesus, the Redeemer, who Isaiah prophesied, who was led as a lamb to the slaughter and did not open up his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
and with his straps we're healed. Even, even verse 6, I love verse 6, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And because of that event, ladies and gentlemen, that was God's judgment. Because of that event, just like the waters of Noah was the judgment of God, so was this, that he laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. Listen, you got to catch this so that you don't go by your feelings concerning God. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith, not by our feelings, not by our sight, not by our senses. Because your feelings are going to lie to you. Anybody ever felt like God was angry with them? Come on, be honest with me here. You ever done something you thought, oh man, God is ticked off right now. Right? But look at this. This is what God has said. So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. And you can thank Jesus for that. All right? You can thank him for that. It's impossible then for him to be angry if he said he wouldn't do it. This is what will liberate you. To freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from failure. Are you hearing me? This, this keeps me looking up. God, you're so good. Why? Why? This keeps me wanting to do the right thing, to say the right kinds of things, to live a good life because of that truth, because of that promise that he's not angry. Doesn't make me want to go off and do whatever I want to. It makes me want to please him. All right, now let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Who? hurry up, hurry up, Eric Holler. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered, shout that next word, once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Verse 19, by whom also, that is by God, also, listen, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. That's an interesting verse of Scripture. Because, you know, we know that, that there was this holding place called Abraham's bosom, that those who died in faith, they went to that holding place. They weren't actually in the tormenting flames of hell, but it was all considered hell, but they were in a holding place. They were not being tormented. They were just there waiting for the Redeemer to come. They all had put their faith in God, but yet they had no access to heaven because Jesus hadn't poured his blood out to secure them from their sins, all right? So they had to wait. So now, I'd always been, I mean, the scripture does teach us that he went down and he led captivity captive. He, he came down to those who died in faith and there they got to see their redeemer and he took them all out of that holding place and into heaven, all right? But there's something else that happened that's not talked about a whole lot, but it's here in the scripture. And when I read this, I, I had to sit and park on it for a little bit thinking, Lord, what did you do here? And look at this. He went and preached to the spirits in prison, all right? My initial thought is it's, it's the those guys like Abraham and those guys. But look, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Oh, whoa, whoa. He didn't go preach to those who died in faith. He preached to those who died in disobedience. He actually went and preached to the guys who were in the tormenting flames of hell. That kind of puts a whole new spin on it to me. I think, why did he do that? Because isn't hell the end? I'm not going to take you down a funky road. Just follow me here, all right? Just listen to me. Isn't hell the end? Isn't that the end of all hopelessness and despair? That's it, right? It's over. Unless, unless the gospel happens to get preached there. 
And it, it has the power in it to deliver even those from hell itself. That's what it says. Jesus went down there and preached. He didn't go down and say, Lord, I just lift up these folks down here. And You know what? I have a feeling Jesus did not go down there and preach a message titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. They were already living that sermon. I have a feeling Jesus went and preached, Jesus in the hands of an angry God. And because I took on the anger of God, you have a chance to escape this fire. And here it is. I died for you. Will you accept that? Otherwise, why is Jesus down there preaching? What kind of message is he? Is he preaching, <laughs> told you so, too late for you, right? What, what, what's the point of that? No, Jesus went down there and preached. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? There's a very good chance that he emptied the entire place out. Here's the thing about hell today, though. The gospel will never be preached there again. But I want you to understand, those guys didn't have any idea Jesus was coming. As far as they were concerned, it was over. As far as they were concerned, listen to me. So there is a deliverance in the worst hopelessness. There is salvation in what seems to be the absolute end. Now, if that gospel, if his message can deliver those out of the most hopeless situation, what can it do for you in your situation right here and right now? What kind of power is there? Are you hearing me? It's even more powerful than the flames of hell. That's extraordinary to me. And Jesus went and preached. He didn't go down and just say, let's go. He didn't go pray for him. Jesus went and preached to him because the scripture says, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Jesus went down there and preached to them and they had the opportunity to believe the gospel and to be rescued from that hopeless place. You And the, the, the salvation of God is not just one that takes you to heaven. It's one that actually gives you a deliverance in every trouble along the way of your life. That's why the scripture says God gives us the victory. He always leads us in triumph. Listen to me. Your trouble has no chance against the power of the gospel. No chance. I know I went off, off course. We are talking about kings and priests, by the way. I'll get there. Jesus went and preached there. I love that. Hallelujah. I'm almost through. Can you give me five more minutes? Good. How about five more than that? So what that, this teaches us then is that it's, God says that I think toward you thoughts of peace, not of evil. Isn't that good news? Hallelujah. And to give you a future and a hope. To, to give you a future and a hope. So what that teaches us is that you were not born to find a future. You were born because a future was created. You were not born to, uh, uh, to find a hope. You were born because hope was already out there in front of you. That word hope means a confident or a positive expectation. One last scripture, John 18, 37. John 18, 37. This is Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king for this cause 
I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Wow, that's an amazing thing Jesus said. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into this world. See, the same cause Jesus was born for, you and I were born for. You were not born to just wander around. You were not born to live an aimless life. You were not born to just crowd planet earth a little bit more. Maybe have a couple of kids, have some fun in life, pay some bills, pay taxes, and die. Your life is so much more than that. You were born for the cause. That is the cause of the king and his kingdom. Because the truth is, a thousand years from now, no one on earth is going to care who wins the Super Bowl this year. Or who wins the game tonight. A thousand years from now, no one is going to care whatsoever who's going to win the next presidential election. Not going to matter. But a thousand years from now, the cause of the king and his kingdom will still be flourishing and bearing fruit. Now, whether that's still here on earth or whether that's after Jesus comes back, it's still the truth. All the people that come into this cause will still be in the cause and will still be in the kingdom. Extraordinary. All that we do for the cause of Christ is a fruit that will remain. That's why the scripture says we don't lay up treasures for here. We lay up treasures in heaven. Because they never die there. They never fade there. They never corrode there. They never rust. So it's, it's not just the, the preachers that are called. It's all of us that are called. Yeah. We all have to understand that we all are called by God. Kings and priests. Kings, I say that with me. Kings and priests. Now this is a partnership for the good of the kingdom. And if you don't know your purpose, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, then there's a very good chance that you will abuse that thing. Yeah. All right? God has called you, he's saved you, and he's given you a purpose, but if you don't understand it, like I said, you'll end up abusing your own life if you don't understand that it's attached to the purpose of God. When my grandfather passed away, uh, us grandsons, we inherited, he always had pocket knives, tons of pocket knives. And so they distributed some of those pocket knives amongst us, and I was happy to open up he had, a, he had them in a cigar box, and I opened up a cigar box, and I'm looking over all these knives. And it was really special to me to... to get that knife in my hand, and I just felt connected to my grandfather. Even though he's gone, I know his hands were on that knife, you know. So uh, I, I, I set them out, and I slowly was opening the blades and checking them out, and I noticed a pattern with these knives. I opened up the first one, and the tip was broken off of the tip. So I'm like, oh, bummer. So I went to the next one, tip broken off. 90% of the knives had blades with the tips broken off. Apparently, my granddad didn't know the purpose of a knife or didn't like the purpose, and so he decided to change the purpose and make a screwdriver out of it. I don't know what the heck he was doing, but he was abusing that thing. You, you have to know why you're here so that you don't just go abusing your life and just doing whatever you want to, living carelessly and aimlessly when God has a, a lane for you to stay in called the vision of God for your life so that you can run your race, run for that prize, fulfill his call on your life. And hear these words. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. I want to hear that. 
I don't want to hear, well, you're done. I want to hear, well done. Amen. Can we bow our heads for just a moment? Father, I thank you for every individual in this room today and those who are watching by television. I thank you, God, for your great grace now. Lord, you've called us with a high calling. And you've called us, Lord, the calling that will run on vision. Vision that is fueled by a cause. It's birthed out of the cause of Christ, the, the cause of the king and his kingdom, God. And I pray, God, for all of these kings here today and even the priests that are here, God, that you would light that fire, that that fire of your calling would burn brightly in them, God. That they would take these words, they would latch hold of this call, this purpose, this cause, and run their race with such efficiency, such swiftness, God, that they would run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, that they would mount up with wings like eagles, God, and that they would finish the race and obtain the prize. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at One Cause Church. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com. Thank you.